Happy Monday, my loves. Surprise! News Macaroons is starting a brand new chapter in our on-air journey today, and I am just so excited to finally share this. I'm usually an excellent secret keeper, but I had a really hard time with this one, so I'm glad to finally get this off my chest. Okay, so let me start from the beginning. A couple of weeks ago, while I was finalizing the content and completing the edits for our online magazine, Quantrell, I had a moment of epiphany. I remember it so specifically. I was working on the holiday makeup spread with Brooke Shivers, the talented artist and visionary behind the Instagram account and YouTube channel, Brooke Creative, and she was one of the very last spreads that I needed to complete. As always, I was working down to the wire. I had never done anything like this before, so I wasn't entirely sure of what to expect. I was full-blown editing a magazine that had evolved into a project double the size of what I had originally intended. I also had a terrible case of the flu, I was sick, and I was just so miserable lying in bed. The dishes, the laundry, the chores, the stress, all of it was piling it up, and I began to feel utterly overwhelmed. But then I felt this magical sensation deep inside my chest. It wasn't a cough or the flu spreading into my lungs. It felt warm and comforting. It felt reassuring. It almost felt like fate. Can I admit that without being too cheesy? Despite my current situation, I thought to myself, oh my God, I love this. Fast forward a couple of weeks and the magazine has launched. I'm already itching to get back to it and create the spring issue, but the weather outside doesn't want to cooperate. We're officially entrenched with snow up here and it's not going to stop for another three months. Finding inspiration for the rebirth and beauty that comes with spring is going to be way more difficult than I imagined. But that moment, it still sticks with me. You know that moment that, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. How can I make it happen? What do I have to do? How can I find funding? What if it doesn't work out? And what if I'm wrong? And what if it really was just me feeling super sick? And not at all some moment where fate reached out and touched my heart and comforted me. You know, that moment? Yeah, I still remember that. And to be honest, I'm still terrified. Now that I know what I want to do, now that I have discovered my hidden passion, what if it doesn't work out? That's a risk I'm going to have to take because I refuse to regret never pursuing it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's the inspiration behind our new podcast series, The Monday Muse. I want to celebrate the women before me who have boldly chased their dreams, defied stereotypes, and lived a life of purpose and passion despite the entire world telling them not to. That's the type of woman I want to become, and that's the type of woman I want to surround myself with. I am only interested in becoming a better version of myself, and I have a lot of work to do, and being around those who feel the same. I admire and crave the company of those who are passionate, curious, and unabashedly themselves. I want to rejoice in the presence of the free thinkers the ingenues, the barrier breakers, and the visionaries. Back when News Macaroons was in its very early infancy last year, I actually began writing a segment just like this, but I don't think it was well thought out. 
When I decided to pick it back up again, I was initially going to just write these stories for the website. But then this weekend, I was struck with inspiration when I realized, hey, um, this is kind of what the podcast is for. I was brimming with excitement all weekend to get this project started. And today we embark on the very first version of a series that I hope speaks to you as much as it speaks to me. I hope that I am a worthy conduit to accurately narrate the lives of these incredible women in a way that gives justice to their timeless accomplishments. I had a very, very difficult time deciding who would be the first one. I feel like I'm inspired every day by the incredible women around me, whether I read about them or hear a defining quote they once said. And trust me, I love a good quote. But today, I feel confident that I picked the right woman to be our very first Monday Muse. She's nothing short of a revolutionary, and I am ashamed to admit that I didn't know that much about her until recently. Her life encompasses everything we need a little bit more of today. Passion, devotion, understanding, and unbridled talent across gender and racial lines. You can count Ernest Hemingway and Pablo Picasso as her admirers. She was an international entertainer who also fought the Nazis, refused to perform in segregated audiences in the United States, and spoke at the March on Washington beside Martin Luther King Jr. Do you know who she is yet? I'll give you a minute to think about it, or to Google it if you have to, while I read one of my favorite passages from Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I promise, this is all connected. The Shit Sandwich by Elizabeth Gilbert Back in my early 20s, I had a good friend who was an aspiring writer, just like me. I remember how he used to descend into dark funks of depression about his lack of success, about his inability to get published. He would sulk and rage. I don't want to be sitting around, he would moan. I want this all to add up to something. I want this to become my job. Even back then, I thought there was something off about his attitude. Mind you, I wasn't being published either, and I was hungry too. I would have loved to have all the same stuff he wanted, success, reward, affirmation. I was no stranger to disappointment and frustration, but I remember thinking that learning how to endure your disappointment and frustration is part of the job of a creative person. If you want to be an artist of any sort, it seemed to me, then handling your frustration is a fundamental aspect of the work perhaps the single most fundamental aspect of the work. Frustration is not an interruption of your process. Frustration is the process. The fun part, the part where it doesn't feel like work at all, is when you're actually creating something wonderful and everything's going great and everyone loves it and you're flying high. But such instants are rare. You don't just get to leap from bright moment to bright moment. How you manage yourself between those bright moments when things aren't going so great is a measure of how devoted you are to your vocation and how equipped you are for the weird demands of creative living. Holding yourself together through all the phases of creation is where the real work lies. I recently read a fabulous blog by a writer named Mark Manson who said that the secret to finding your purpose in life is to answer this question in total honesty. What's your favorite flavor of shit sandwich? 
What Manson means is that every single pursuit, no matter how wonderful and exciting and glamorous it may initially seem, comes with its own brand of shit sandwich, its own lousy side effects. As Manson writes with profound wisdom, everything sucks some of the time. You just have to decide what sort of suckage you're willing to deal with. So the question is not so much, what are you passionate about? The question is, what are you passionate about enough that you can endure the most disagreeable aspects of the work? Manson explains it this way. If you want to be a professional artist, but you aren't willing to see your work rejected hundreds, if not thousands of times, then you're done before you start. If you want to be a hotshot court lawyer, but can't stand the 80 hour work weeks, then I've got bad news for you. Because if you love and want something enough, whatever it is, then you don't really mind eating the shit sandwich that comes with it. If you truly love having babies, for instance, then you don't care about the morning sickness. If you truly want to be a minister, you don't mind listening to other people's problems. If you truly love performing, you will accept the discomforts and inconveniences of living on the road. If you truly want to see the world, you'll risk getting pickpocketed on a train. If you truly want to practice your figure skating, you'll get up before dawn on cold mornings to go to the ice rink and skate. My friend back in the day claimed that he wanted to be a writer with all his heart, but it turns out he didn't want to eat the shit sandwich that comes along with that pursuit. He loved writing, sure, but he didn't love it enough to endure the ignominy of not getting the results he wanted when he wanted them. He didn't want to work so hard at anything unless he was guaranteed some measure of worldly success on his own terms. Which means, I think, that he only wanted to be a writer with half his heart. And yeah, soon enough he quit. Which left me hungrily eyeballing his half-eaten shit sandwich, wanting to ask, are you going to finish that? Because that's how much I loved the work. I would even eat somebody else's shit sandwich if it meant that I got to spend more time writing. I read this passage today because I hope it speaks to you, the woman who is finding herself and discovering who she wants to be and what she wants to do, as much as it spoke to me. Remember that feeling I mentioned earlier when I realized I wanted to be an editor and creator of my own media company and magazine? Yeah, the one that exhilarated me and terrified me all at once? Well, this passage confirmed that I'm going to be eating a lot of shit sandwiches to make it happen, but it'll be worth it. Okay, so did you figure it out yet? Do you know who we'll be talking about today as our Monday muse? Even though she's an international sensation, she had to eat a lot of shit sandwiches in her day, too. Come, stay a while, hang out with me, as I tell you about the incredible life of the daring, the bold, the audacious Josephine Baker. Frida Josephine McDonald was born in St. Louis, Missouri to her mother Carrie, a woman who herself was adopted by former slaves of African and Native American descent. We don't know that much about Josephine's father because her mother took the secret literally to her grave, becoming a painful mystery to Josephine and a puzzle that her biographers could not officially solve. Medical records indicate that Josephine's father was white and biographers confirm that her mother worked for a German family in St. Louis around the time she gave birth to Josephine. 
Regardless, Josephine lived out her early days in the Mill Creek Valley neighborhood of St. Louis, a low-income setting consisting primarily of rooming houses, brothels, and a lack of indoor plumbing. Any formal education stopped at fifth grade, and at eight years old, she began working as a live-in domestic for white families. One woman even burned Josephine's hands after she put too much soap in the laundry. At 13, she became a waitress living on the street in the slums, sleeping in cardboard shelters, scavenging for food in garbage cans, dancing on the street corners to make a living. She met a man named Willie Wells and married him. They divorced less than a year later, and by age 15, Josephine married another man named Willie Baker, and she divorced him four years later after finding success in her dancing troupe, but she still kept his name until her death. After finding success with her vaudeville troupe in St. Louis, she headed to New York City during the Harlem Renaissance, and I firmly believe we witness cosmic alignment and the fruition of fate at this very moment. She was performing successfully in vaudeville shows, described as a theatrical genre of variety entertainment at the time, and she was soon billed as the highest paid chorus girl in vaudeville. Despite these accolades, Josephine was often faced with rejection simply due to her race. She describes feeling suffocated and afraid to be black in America, and she ultimately moved to Paris. It was there that the Josephine Baker we know today was invented. During her shows in Paris, she was often accompanied on stage by her pet cheetah named Chiquita, adorned with a diamond collar. She became the most successful American entertainer working in France, and Ernest Hemingway even called her the most sensational woman anyone ever saw. She was a critical hit and an entertainment masterpiece. And yet, despite her success in Europe, she never gained the equivalent admiration in America. It truly hurts my heart and my soul to say this, but at one point, Time Magazine referred to her as a Negro wench whose dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris. But that didn't stop her. She soon gave up citizenship in America and became a legal citizen in France. During World War II, Josephine was recruited by the French military intelligence as an honorable correspondent, collecting information about German troop locations from officials she met at parties. She wrote notes about airfields, harbors, and German troop concentrations with invisible ink on her sheet music. She was eventually named to the National Order of the Legion of Honor by Charles de Gaulle, the highest French order of merit for military and civil service. She was named NAACP's Woman of the Year in 1951, and she returned to the United States for a national tour. Despite these incredible accomplishments and her international success, she was still refused reservations at 36 hotels because of racial discrimination. She was threatened by the Ku Klux Klan, and she was refused service at the Stork Club in Manhattan. And yes, Despite the terrible and unforgivable treatment, the NAACP declared May 20th, 1951 as Josephine Baker Day. She spoke at the March on Washington at the site of Martin Luther King Jr. as the only official female speaker, 
and, after King's assassination, Coretta Scott King requested for Josephine to lead the civil rights movement, to which she politely declined. Josephine also wanted to prove that, in her own words, children of different ethnicities and religions could still be brothers. She created the Rainbow Tribe, 12 adopted children from a variety of backgrounds and ethnicities consisting of 10 boys and two girls. Eventually, Josephine fell into hard financial trouble, but, you know, I don't want to get into that here. That's not how she should be remembered, and that's not who she was. I mean, we all fall into financial difficulties at times, right? On April 8, 1975, Josephine was back on stage at the Bobino in Paris to celebrate her 50 years in show business. The audience included Sophia Loren, Mick Jagger, Diana Ross, Liza Minnelli, and it was financed by Prince Rainier, Princess Grace, and Jackie O. She received rave, glowing reviews for her performance. Four days later, she was in a coma after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage. Found lying in her bed, surrounded by newspapers exalting her performance, she was rushed to the hospital. Josephine died on April 12, 1975, four days after giving one last stellar performance to the world. So today, let's celebrate and manifest the life and times of Josephine Baker into our actions. Go out there and be bold, audacious, Throw caution to the wind, embrace your inner banana skirt, live your life with passion and enthusiasm, and be willing to eat that shit sandwich along the way if you must. Show the world that, regardless of background or ethnicity, we can all get along and love one another. I know the world at large needs that so, so desperately right now. I hope you enjoyed the premiere episode of our Monday Muse series as much as I enjoyed writing and rehearsing it. I am in awe of the fact that I get to come out here every day and surround myself with incredible women like Josephine, like you, and I am so grateful for this opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review below, subscribe to receive alerts whenever a new episode airs, and as always, follow News Macaroons on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our newsletter, etc., etc. We are everywhere, and we're here to help you live your most inspired life. Until next time, cheers!